Bulletproof Radio, a state of high performance. You're listening to Bulletproof Radio with Dave Asprey. Today's cool fact of the day is that your brain might make new nerve cells as you age. In fact, even well into old age, which is kind of cool, even if you're not old, knowing that someday when you're old, you're going to be able to do that. It turns out that healthy people in their 70s have just as many young nerve cells or neurons in the memory-related parts of their brains as teenagers and young adults do. And this research just came out in April of 2018. And what this means is that your hippocampus keeps generating new neurons throughout your life. At least it does if you've taken enough of the right foods and things like that and haven't inhibited that process. And this new study contradicts a study from March, which said that neurogenesis in the hippocampus stops in childhood. And the new research fits a bigger pile of evidence showing that adult human brains can, at least to some extent, make new neurons. Uh, In my own life, my hippocampal volume is at the 87th percentile for my age, which is a sign that I'm doing something right. And I would like to be in the 100th percentile, but hey, I'm, I'm pretty far up there. What we don't know though is I didn't get a study when I was young and fat and sick to see if it was smaller, but I do have other brain imaging studies that show parts of my brain were substantially basically damaged by toxins. These are specifically mold toxins. And those are all repaired now. So we know that your brain can repair itself. And this new evidence says your hippocampus probably can keep doing new neurons, at least if you're doing everything right. So hopefully that inspires you uh, to think that there are some things you can do to keep your brain running the way it did when you were young. And this came from sciencenews.org. What if there was a way to level up your energy, get rid of stress, and take more control of your body? Welcome to Quantum Upgrade. This is a new technology that taps into quantum energy to help you feel amazing. Quantum Upgrade has a lot of different products that help protect you from EMF and help activate your body's natural healing abilities. You can expect better sleep, more resilience, less stress, and better blood flow. The cool thing about Quantum Upgrade is that the products are backed by a lot of heavy-duty scientific studies, and there's a new measurable upgrade. You can now use Quantum Upgrade to increase your consciousness levels between 1,400 and 2,200 on the Hawkins map of consciousness. If you don't know what that means, do some research because it's impressive, it's fun to learn about, and it's something that I've come to understand. Ready to try Quantum Upgrade? Visit quantumupgrade.io slash Dave for a seven-day free trial. You're really going to like today's episode because we're going to talk about some things that do impact neurons. Today's guest is Dr. Charles Brenner, and one of the world's experts in biochemistry because he's, well, the Roy J. Carver Chair and Head of Biochemistry at the University of Iowa, and has a PhD from Stanford focusing on cancer biology and looked at chemistry and biochemistry in his postdoc. So he's one of these guys who's really dug deep on what's going on in our mitochondria and is now an expert in something called NAD. If you read Headstrong, you might have heard about NAD and NADH. And because Charles is an expert on this stuff and co-discovered something called nicotinamide riboside, uh, which is one of the, the few compounds out there that can boost NAD in your body, I wanted to interview him. Because, hey, if you can get your NAD levels up via any pathway possible, whether it's from exercise or fixing your mitochondria, eating the right things, not inhibiting things, or taking supplements, I think it's worth your time and attention to learn about that. So Charles, welcome to the show. I am so happy to be here. All right. You've had a a pretty 
illustrious career in you know education and uh, and research and and even you know, being a professor. How did you get focused on mitochondria and NAD, given that you started out with cancer? You know, I was minding my own business, working on an enzyme back in the early 2000s. The end product of this enzyme pathway was production of NAD, the central regulator of metabolism. Initially, I just wanted to know how the enzyme works. It actually has two active sites, so it's, it's kind of a complicated enzyme, which is why I loved it. But too complicated to go into at the moment. And there was a huge amount of interest in NAD arising just at that time because NAD is required for the function of sirtuins. And sirtuins are these longevity promoting genes that are found in everything from yeast to human beings. Folks were starting to manipulate the NAD pathway to see if they could extend lifespan in something like a yeast cell. And when I looked at the evidence basis for how NAD is made, even in something as simple as a yeast, it seemed like there could be some missing steps. And essentially, when we knocked out this gene that I was working on, we found that there was another way to make NAD, and that was through nicotinamide riboside. So that's when we discovered NR as a vitamin and the nicotinamide riboside kinase pathway to NAD back in 2004. And so this is going back a while, and uh, this is one of those uh, kind of unusual supplements that you hear about sort of on the, the corners of the internet around longevity. And given that I'm looking to live to at least 180, maybe a little bit longer, uh, or a lot longer actually, <laughs> uh, I'm completely willing and able to find everything and try everything all at once to see if it works. And this is definitely one of those things I've, I've been aware of for a while, uh, and I've, I've taken on and off over the years. And I'm thinking for, for people listening, do you believe, given that you're very well qualified to understand about what's going on biologically, do you believe that by increasing NAD in our, uh, in our bodies that it, we have a reasonable chance of extending our lives even a little bit? Let's take a step back and talk about what NAD actually does, right? Oh, uh, you're dodging so the NAD's, question. Come on, come on, Charles. I, I, <laughs> I, I'm going to take it head on, but I've got to take it in pieces. <laughs> okay, I'll tell right? us the story. So, 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 so NAD is the central regulator of metabolism, right? There's actually four NAD coenzymes. And you might read sometimes when you, you know, read about NAD, it'll, sometimes it'll say NAD plus, yep. right? And sometimes just NAD. There's actually four different coenzymes, NAD plus, NADH, NADP, sometimes that's a plus, and NADPH. These coenzymes are essentially required for all the metabolic transformations that occur in every cell, in every tissue. You, you die without them, straight up. You die with, you wouldn't live without them. There is right. no life without them, right? So conversion of our fuels, protein, fat, and carbohydrate into energy requires NAD. Similarly, maintaining our blood glucose at night and generating ketones requires NADH, and it actually reoxidizes NADH to NAD+. NADH is also reoxidized to NAD+, when we make ATP from that fuel that we ate. And this is required for all of our muscles to work and for ideas to be transmitted along our nerves and for us to hear. And then this NADP, NADPH is required for making DNA and RNA and lipids and 
also protecting us from reactive oxygen species. So the connection between NAD and longevity really has to do with two or three things. One is resistance to molecular stresses, like reactive oxygen species, sunlight damage, oxygen damage that can damage DNA and other macromolecules. In addition, all of the NAD-dependent processes, like converting fuel into energy and repairing DNA and maintaining our blood glucose and having an idea and sleeping at night, all of those things depend on NAD and our NAD is under attack in some of these stress conditions and declines in aging. So the basic idea is by boosting our NAD with nicotinamide riboside, we're maintaining a higher level of resiliency you know, against damage, and we're going to basically age better. I still think that we're going to age, and I don't know whether you're going to get to 180, Dave, because there's not a lot of human examples of people getting beyond 120. But there's a lot of examples of people being very debilitated in their 70s, 80s, and 90s. Yes. That's what we really want to avoid. Right? Step one, avoid so that. We want, to, <laughs> we, want to, right, we want to square the curve, right? So that people are living more capable lives for a longer period of time and are aging better, essentially. And I think that NR has, has a definite role in that. I'm really glad you mentioned 120 because I my my rationale for that 180 is that look I know we can do 120 because it's been done enough times and yep. if if you start when you're you know, 35 basically or 30 like like I have uh, and you can dull some of the effects of aging your chances of getting 120 if a piano doesn't fall on your head are reasonably higher than average and I'm also betting that over the next hundred years of life, we might have a few other uh, technology and biological breakthroughs that mm -hmm. are going to give me another 50%. So it doesn't mm -hmm. seem that crazy to make that bet, given the number of advances we've had in the last hundred years when we didn't have things like artificial intelligence, cloud computing, uh, things like voicemail. I mean, <laughs> come on. Right, right. Absolutely. So do you um, still think I'm crazy pants for 180? Well, so I think that there have been improvements in sort of hygiene and sanitation, water, you know, that have extended our lifespan and we're not predated any longer, although in some we could start talking about, you know, handgun violence and, and the potential for lower lifespan in, in, in certain locations. So I think that we can, I think that more of us can, can be centenarians. And you're right that there's a potential for interaction between things that haven't been discovered yet or better applications of things that have been discovered, but not everybody is necessarily going to have the genetics that support that. And there will be some pianos that, that will fall on our head. So, you know, there is an aspect of aging that stuff happens. And yep. part of the, the role of nicotinamide riboside really is boosting cellular resiliency because stress is actually experienced at a cellular level. Yes. I could give you about seven different examples of metabolic stresses that actually depress aspects of the NAD metabolism. Talk about like and, a couple of those. I think for people listening, yeah. we're talking, this is a molecule that keeps you alive. If you have more of it, you're going to have a very high quality, resilient life. And you have less of it, uh, your life is going to suck on multiple levels. Uh, and, and we'll talk more about some of the other stuff you can do for, for NAD, like, like supplement regimens and injecting it and, and things like that later. But what are these examples of things that depress NAD? 
Okay. So the thing that we've known about for the longest time is alcohol. So alcohol is metabolized in the liver in two successive steps. The NAD goes from NAD plus to NADH. You need the NAD in the plus form in order to burn fuels. So the end result of excessive alcohol intoxication, excessive alcohol metabolism is essentially alcoholic fatty liver because we're not burning those fuels in generating ATP. Instead, we're storing the fuel as lipid droplets, hepatic steatosis. But a few years ago, my lab did an experiment in which we essentially wanted to look at obesity and type 2 diabetes in a, in a mouse. And there was a lot of speculation that that might depress liver NAD as well. And it did, but it more strikingly depressed liver NADPH. And NADPH is the central regulator of reactive oxygen species toxicity. So when you generate ROS, the reactive oxygen species have to be detoxified in a manner that depends on NADPH. So when you overfeed a mouse, you end up with a storm of reactive oxygen species that damages molecules you know, systemically, including in its nerves. And these mice develop pre-diabetic and then diabetic neuropathy on the basis of their obesity and diabetes. And we can prevent that with provision of nicotinamide riboside. That's just the first two. Noise. So, so there's a, let me go yep. straight. If I'm going to go out and yep. drink a lot, which by the way, if you guys have read, read the Bulletproof stuff, there's a whole infographic on if you're going to drink, how to prevent damage. I mean, are you saying that having higher amounts of nicotinamide riboside is a good idea pre or post a binge? And by the way, you shouldn't be binging. You guys hear me, but. Yeah, binging, not so good. But having higher level of, of NAD and your, by the way, the liver loves taking up nicotinamide riboside. And so oral NR is very highly available to the liver. And so I would say that if you were like going into Passover Seder or some other reason why you're going to have four glasses of wine, just as, you know, I did on uh, Friday night last week, being prepared, preparing your body with a little bit more NR is probably a pretty good idea. This is something where uh, I, I got to pause you for a second there, Charles. Sure. You're not allowed to say necessarily a strong claim on this. I totally get it. But I, I can say um, pretty freely that I think it's a good idea to upregulate your mitochondrial function in every way possible if you're going to drink. And this is one of the possible ways. Yeah. Upregulating uh, mitochondrial function through physical activity, eating well, and uh, potentially taking a supplement that would elevate your NAD is, is something that will maintain wellness. What is the effect of nicotinamide riboside or just upregulating NAD for someone who's in ketosis? Uh, not been studied. So you, you need NADH to um, generate ketone bodies and you need NAD plus to oxidize them. There's a fuel cycle that depends on NAD, NADH. The ketogenesis part occurs in the liver whether that would be depressed at low NAD, I don't think that anybody's actually looked at that yet. 
It almost certainly would, even though I don't know of any science either, just because everything that happens biologically requires mitochondrial activation in order to make electrons to fuel the cycle. So pretty much when you're not making enough energy in the body, every system in the body uh, can be affected. So you would imagine if you have adequate energy reserves and your mitochondria are functioning well, that that system would work better. But like you said, there's no see, data. See, Dave, I wasn't going to be the first person to say electrons in this hour. I thought that <laughs> was going to be too technical. But since you said electrons... We're, we're all iPhones the, here. We, we run off the same good. electrons. Okay. okay. So since you said electrons, the difference between NAD plus and NADH is basically has to do with electrons. Yeah. Is that NAD plus is the hydride or electron carrier for all that fuel oxidation. And so NAD is the hydride accepting coenzyme. When it's got those electrons, it's NADH, and then that initiates the electron transfer chain and you can generate the ATP. And, and so now I'm gonna translate that as best I can. Uh, and I, my book, Headstrong, goes through this. And there's so much complexity around mitochondrial biology. I am not a university professor level guy, but when you write a deep book about how to hack this process, you learn a thing or two. The deal here is that food and air are coming in and they become, uh, your body turns them into electrons via the Krebs cycle. And then the electron has to be carried somewhere. You got to have NAD to do that. You like that really basic assumption there or not such a basic uh, explanation? Pretty good communication. All right, th yep. there we go. So, so now if you're listening to this going, why should I care about this? Uh, this is, you know, PhD level biochemistry. Here's the deal. This is fundamental to you being alive. And it's a process that isn't either it works or it doesn't work. It's not a light switch. It's a dimmer switch. And what you want to be able to do is you want to be able to turn up the dimmer switch because when you do this more effectively, all of the diseases of aging get better. So you will kick more ass through the entire length of your life and hopefully have a longer one as well if you can achieve that. And that's why I spent a couple of years writing a book on it because I wanted to do that for myself. And that understanding is cool because the first place you're going to feel this probably isn't in your liver unless you have weird sensors in your liver. I don't. You're going to feel it in your brain because your brain does this right. the most. Right. So your brain is a very bioenergetically demanding organ. So are peripheral nerves. And, and that's why in chemotherapy, people get painful nerve endings or insensate nerve endings, again, because it requires so much ATP to transmit touch sensation all the way back to the dorsal root ganglion. And since you mentioned air, well, let's give a shout out to oxygen, right? Amen. So <laughs> oxygen is the ultimate electron acceptor. So NAD is sort of the first electron acceptor and oxygen is the ultimate electron acceptor. But at the inner mitochondrial membrane, when these electron transfers don't work perfectly well, you generate superoxide and other oxygen-free radicals. And guess what detoxifies them? Electrons on NADPH. I, I like having the nerdy conversation with you, Dave, <laughs> because there's a lot of people that are got interested in NAD because of sirtuins. And sirtuins are interesting proteins yeah. and like in yeast, I started out as a yeast person and the ability of a yeast cell to extend its lifespan when you calorie restrict it depends upon a gene and, and protein called SIR2. But by no means are sirtuins the only or the major mediators of the effect of NAD. The fundamental redox biology of these four NAD coenzymes is vital to life. 
And as you said, you know, the ability to do all of these NAD dependent processes is essential for every organ function. It's interesting. People probably, unless you're, you're a nerdy, which is a great description, actually, you probably don't know this is really a, an unusual form of vitamin B3, right? It is, right. So the, the two previously known forms of vitamin B3 were discovered in 1938 up the road in uh, Madison, Wisconsin by Conrad Elvihem. And a hundred years ago, in the American South, there were a million people with a disease called pellagra. And pellagra was characterized by diarrhea, dermatitis, and dementia, ultimately death. And, you know, when people looked at it at first glance, it looked like a communicable disease, an infectious disease, because you would see, you know, in a village or in a mental hospital or something like this, you'd see a lot of people with pellagra. So the public health service was created. This is the forerunner to the National Institutes on Health. And the very first grantee in the PHS was Dr. Joseph Goldberger, went down from the North to the American South and looked at these pellagrins, people with pellagra. And he would notice that doctors and nurses in a hospital didn't have these symptoms whereas their patients did. And when he looked at the diet, he, he saw, well, look, the doctors can put milk in their coffee. They have eggs and they have some fresh food. Whereas the people that had pellagra were on a, a diet of corn rations and lard. It's almost like the, hate to be disparaging, I, I live in, in Iowa City, but it's, it's like an extreme of a mid-American unhealthy diet or a diet in which you tried to get all of your foodstuffs from the uh, aisles rather than the perimeter of the grocery store where the fresh food is located. Now today you wouldn't get pellagra from eating a diet of just crackers and cookies because niacin is supplemented into the wheat, right? So we, we don't get frank pellagra from that diet today. But a hundred years ago, we did. And when pellagra was turned into an animal model, LVM discovered nicotinamide and nicotinic acid as the two vitamins that would prevent it. So we've known about those two forms of vitamin B3 since 1938. And then my lab came along in 2004 and found NR as a third vitamin precursor of NAD. What about the other form of vitamin B3 that it's not politically correct to talk about? Uh, nicotine? No, nicotine is not uh, a B3. It's not officially so it's, B3. It's, it's molecularly similar, right? It's similar, but it, yeah, it, doesn't, it does not generate NAD. There is another uh, molecule that can become NAD in some of our cells, and that's tryptophan. But tryptophan is an amino acid, and you know its primary function is to make protein, right? right. You can also make serotonin from it. And so the, the gene pathway from tryptophan to NAD is basically inefficient and it's not on in every single type of cell or tissue. So tryptophan turns out to be a very inefficient way of making NAD and it, it basically doesn't promote NAD synthesis in neurons, for example. So it doesn't have you know, nearly as much use. 
So you could get a little bit of basically, well, this is niacinamide, which is one of the forms of B vitamin we know about, and something called ribose, which funny enough, that's what's in MitoSweet, uh, the, the bulletproof sweetener we have. It's a deribose-based thing. But your body doesn't combine niacinamide and ribose very effectively to make nicotinamide riboside, it, which is no, why you it, supplement it. It doesn't do that. Yeah. There's actually no example in all of biology in which a base like nicotinamide or adenine is just combined with ribose to form a nucleoside. That's sort of not the way it works. And so nicotinamide can, be, can react with a compound called PRPP to form NMN, and then NMN can go to NAD, or nicotinamide riboside can be phosphorylated, is the technical term, to uh, NMN and then form NAD. But uh, the, the ribose and the nicotin, the nicotinamide's great. High dose nicotinamide doesn't really do what you want it to do because high dose nicotinamide will inhibit these enzyme sirtuins, whereas high dose nicotinamide riboside is an NAD precursor that doesn't inhibit the sirtuins. Nicotinic acid is great, especially for lowering LDL cholesterol, lowering the bad cholesterol and raising HDL cholesterol, but it has two limitations. One is that it doesn't, you know, regenerate NAD in all tissues. So for example, it doesn't regenerate NAD in neurons, which, you know, we, we, matters we, the we most, talked right? about that matters the most. And also high dose nicotinic acid causes a flush reaction that's pretty uncomfortable. So for- NR is basically you know, it's available to all cells and tissues. It doesn't inhibit sirtuins. It doesn't give us a flush reaction. And that's why it's a more valuable B3. If you're a, a biohacker who's been trying stuff for a while, you might've had a chance to try niacin, one of these other forms of vitamin B3. And niacin is known for causing a flush reaction. And this is going back, geez, to like the mid nineties when I, I was first like, I've really got to figure out why I'm not losing this hundred pounds. And I, I got some very expensive high-end multivitamin and it had a substantial dose of niacin in it. And so I, I took this stuff and I, I was just an, an uneducated biohacker, frankly, kind of desperate because my brain wasn't working half the time and I was feeling like crap and I could, I couldn't keep up at work. So I took the stuff and literally I turned bright beet red. I'm, I'm like, I'm getting yep. rashes and I sent the vitamin back and they're like, oh yeah, you should get the stuff without niacin. And people with infrared saunas will oftentimes take niacin when they're doing the sauna to help cause like sweating and flushing to get toxins out and things like that. So it's kind of a, uh, it's kind of a, an aggressive thing, but if you have heart disease and things like that, higher dose niacin is, is probably a good idea. But what you're saying, Charles, is that NR has benefits far beyond what niacin would do, but it does the same types of things that niacin does. They're, they're both NAD precursors. NR does not produce a flush. There's much more clinical research on high-dose nicotinic acid than high-dose NR. Thus far, there's only two published clinical trials of nicotinamide riboside in human beings. The first one, well, there's one that was a combination, but the combination was with a compound you shouldn't really combine NR with, and we could get into the cardiovascular uh, effects in that trial. But in the only two clinical trials that have been published of pure NR, mine was just to see whether it was orally available in people and it would safely increase their NAD and it does that. But there's a, there was one that was just published 
in, uh, I think, the end of March of 2018. And it was at one gram of NR per day. And what was found is that the folks on trial who were pre-hypertensive, meaning that their systolic blood pressure was between 120 and 139.9, so they were not medicated for hypertension, they uh, got about a 10 millimeter of mercury benefit, so a 10-point drop in their systolic blood pressure by being on this high-dose NR. There's many more published studies of high-dose nicotinic acid at regulating plasma lipids, and that's basically not been studied yet for, for NR. But what we know about NR is that like nicotinic acid, it's an NAD precursor. Nicotinic acid and niacin are the same thing. Unlike niacin, it does not cause flushing. And uh, better than niacin, it is available in tissues like neurons. So it's a, it's a very exciting compound. And when it's available I, over the counter. When I first tried uh, NR or nicotinamine riboside, uh, the stuff that, that we're talking about, I... Now, this was a long time ago, right when it first came out. Uh, I'm the kind of guy who like orders a bag of white powder uh, kind of guy, but legal white powder. <laughs> and uh, I found that I, I really, I, I know what it feels like when I upregulate my mitochondrial function. Like when things are working better, like there's a, a spark in your brain and things work. Like you don't drop words. It's very hard to put a word to it, but there's a feeling like I'm, I'm running at full power. The dimmer switch is all the way up versus mm -hmm. down 10 or 20%. And, and, as I became just more able to tune that system, I realized most people are not running at full power and I can feel when I'm doing it, at least what I think is full power. Maybe there's a level I haven't hit yet. I'm still, I'm still working on that. But I could feel a gram, uh, which is a relatively high dose, what you talked about in your study of right. nicotinamide riboside, but I couldn't feel any difference from like 250. It's not to say I wasn't doing something, but it, it didn't hit my, right. my mitochondria to the point my brain would feel it. Yep. What's the difference between taking 250 milligrams or taking a gram? Okay, so the first thing I want to preface by saying is that this is something that's available over the counter, right? It's not intended to treat a disease or condition, right? And we're not making health claims. That would be wrong to make health a, claims over anything oh, you sell. Oh, Even if they're true, oh, you must not make them, Charles. <laughs> well, it's, it's an over-the-counter <laughs> supplement and it's being tested for diseases and conditions. Right now, you and I are having a conversation about wellness and how you feel, right? Absolutely. So I, I would say that at the so-called recommended dose, which is, you know, 225 millimeter capsules. Most people take it in the morning. What you're getting is kind of an improvement. It's like an antivirus software that's running, right? So it's running in the background. If you didn't get a cold this winter when a bunch of your friends got colds, if you just experience less time zone disruption than your work partner or travel mate, that's kind of your effect, right? You were a bit more resilient. You didn't necessarily notice a huge boost. But yeah. as people get to higher doses, like the folks in this recently published University of Colorado study, were taking a half a gram in the morning and a half a gram in the evening. Those are more of a therapeutic dose. And the therapeutic trials that are going on in, in at least... I think 16 sites around the world are tending to use uh, doses that are higher. So, and those are studies, um, these are without claiming that it does things. If you can slow, delay, inhibit those things, you're probably going to like your life because it's not like they hit you one day, it's that they're building up over the course of years. And during the time they're building up, you start to feel a little bit more like crap every day and it sneaks up on you. 
I promised you earlier something like seven different ways in which NAD and the NAD metabolome can be depressed by metabolic stresses. And cardiac is one of the most interesting to me. Let me just run through them really quickly. And any of them that catch your interest, we can talk about more. All right. Noise-induced hearing loss. So there was a study in New York where they subjected, sorry, but it was an animal experiment, and they subjected mice to sufficient noise that it caused deafness. Right? I got to know, that what actually, kind of music was were they listening to? Was this like, it like ACDC? Music. You know it was. No, it was, probably, <laughs> it was probably like a human being that works with a jackhammer. Okay, okay, got it. You know, I don't know quite how it, it translates to, to human beings, but noise-induced hearing loss actually depresses NAD in the cochlea. Um, wow. Sun damage, oxygen, free radical stress, depress it, NAD there's, in two different ways. We have to talk more about this, this noise thing. There are a very substantial number of rock stars who listen to Bulletproof Radio because a, a few of them have reached out to me, which blows me away completely. I'm like, wow, they're this stuff works. So, all right, guys uh, who are in the music field, I would just tell you that if I was going to be on stage the way you guys are, uh, this would be a really good thing to do. Uh, any kind of mitochondrial enhancement, but but this, given that there's a study about that, who cares if it's in mice? Like your ears are how you yep. make your living for some people. So, uh, all right, that, that's just a great use case. All right, that's cool. Yep. Uh, sun, you know, sun and oxygen damage reactive oxygen species. So when you talk about the mitochondrial dysfunction, then you're talking about, you know, electrons gone wild. And when electrons go wild, they generate reactive oxygen species, and they require NADPH to detoxify them. NADPH is also required to make things like estrogens and androgens. And so you really don't want your NADPH tied up in repair processes when you need it for biosynthetic processes. Changing time zones and time zone disruption dysregulates the NAD metabolome because the NAD metabolome is regulated by circadian 24-hour functions. So we're, when I'm in a large group of people, I ask you know, people, how many people would like to hop on a jet and go to Ibiza for a few days of drinking wine and enjoying plenty of food and listening to maybe loud music in the sun, in the fresh air, and everybody raises their hand. Well, you just talked about five enjoyable things that all dysregulate our NAD metabolome, you know, and that's not even, you know, disease processes. Then we get into neurodegeneration and heart disease. There are acute situations where NAD declines. And we recently showed in a mouse model of heart failure that not only does the NAD decline, but the nicotinamide riboside kinase gene gets turned on. So it turns out that in a failing heart, the heart wants to have NR in order to replete, in order to fill up its NAD stores. Why? Because it costs less ATP to generate NAD from NR than from the other precursors. Okay, that makes so much sense. And uh, it's, it's pretty incredible what can happen with these things. Now, I, I've got to ask, what about just straight up injecting NAD? Because I, I've had about 15 grams of NAD intravenously. We're doing it at Bulletproof Labs on occasion, and it's been pretty profound, but I'm taking you know, a gram of NAD in, in, my, in my bloodstream. What's the difference between nicotinamide riboside and just straight up doing NAD? 
Injecting NAD doesn't make any sense to me because NAD doesn't go into cells as NAD. Injecting so even intravenously? Fun. No. Okay. So it still has got to get into cells. And, you know, we've done the experiment where we, you know, I, I know that you're basically interested in neuroprotection. Oh, yeah. And so, you know, we did the experiment. And again, we have to engage, you know, small numbers of animals in order to do controlled experiments and figure out mechanisms of action. And so in a, in a collaborative experiment with uh, Eric Duplou's group in Paris, we generated a model of excitotoxic brain injury. So NMDA is a neurotransmitter, but a very high dose of NMDA will actually cause brain damage. So we induced this type of excitotoxic brain damage and directly compared NAD and nicotinamide riboside. And nicotinamide riboside worked more than 15 times better than NAD. And the NAD worked at a very low level, but in a manner that required its conversion to NR. So NAD has to be con converted to NR in order to go into the neurons in order to protect. Think of it this way. As we age, our skin is losing collagen production, right? So yep. we don't take a cowhide with collagen, you know, and just rub it on our skin. That doesn't work, right? It's only collagen peptides and that ultimately are degraded into collagen amino acids that can go into cells <laughs> and that with new collagen gene expression in those skin cells, those skin cells can make their own collagen. I, I don't know if you brought that up on purpose, but, but Bulletproof is, is the company that brought collagen peptides to market. It's like when you go to Whole Foods, that's our collagen peptides out there. So I, I love it that you just brought that up. Was that on purpose or you just did... Were you at this this NAD summit in San Diego? A couple of guys from Bulletproof Labs were there, but I couldn't make it down in time. Yeah. So I was trying to figure out how to communicate this concept of, because, you know, there are folks that are out there that are injecting NAD and, you know, swearing by the transformative, you know, ability of high dose NAD to cut down on their cravings and to do amazing transformational things in their, in their lives. And although that's not the same as a placebo controlled trial, the anecdotal accounts were pretty, you know, remarkable, but in animal experiments, we can try to figure out how these things work. And, and then in a, you know, in a lay audience, I've got to figure out how to communicate that. So why wouldn't NAD be better if, you know, a damaged brain is deficient in NAD? I want to give it NAD rather than nicotinamide riboside which is a precursor. Well, collagen is kind of the perfect way to explain that. You can't get intact collagen into a cell. You know, the best you can do is degrade collagen and those peptides are going to be further degraded into amino acids in order to be converted into collagen. That's a great way of explaining it. So you need the building blocks. And it's interesting that, that the studies on intravenous NAD um, show a, a bunch of effects on you know, pain reduction in the body and uh, specifically for drug and alcohol addiction. They're seeing just profound results, but it takes you know, 10 infusions of um, relatively high doses. And it, it's a particularly uncomfortable procedure. And you know, it takes about two hours minimum and you sort of feel like a weird pressure on your chest. But I, I did notice uh, 
like lasting impact from, from having done 10 of those. I've also had traumatic brain injury, right? And I had toxic, toxic induced, uh, problems in my brain from, um, from mold toxins in the environment around me, um, that were looked at with a spec scan. So maybe I'm an unusual case there. Um, but I, I definitely noticed a difference there, but I also have taken NR for a long time. Right. So uh, like, like the question is, is, is stacking these in multiple pathways good, but I'm, I'm intrigued that you say 15 times better from an oral but what was the measure of No, better? this wasn't oral. So oh. this was a direct infusion oh, of, of NAD and NR uh, right at the site of a brain injury where NR was, you know, uh, much more powerful. Can, can I buy than, NR than intravenous? Is, is that available? Can you get it? Uh, NR is not available intravenously. Ah. You know, the only, we've commercialized it as an oral product and we've shown that it's orally available. You know, in the, in the fullness of time, you know, there will be compositions and formulations of NR and NR releasing compounds that, you know, may be more, you know, brain available than NR, but, you know, we've, we've done a lot of neuroprotection things with, uh, with nicotinamide riboside in, in mice and in rats and orally available NR is neuroprotective. I mean, that's been, been shown yep. in peer reviewed studies. That is fascinating stuff. What I've found in my own path of losing this weight and just getting energy I've never had is that your ability to build core resilience means you can do more things you want to do. And it basically means you can take a hit and get up again. And I, I think there's a case for, for this form of mitochondrial enhancement stacked with things like glutathione and all the other things that are out there that make it work. And when you, you get all those things working at the same time, you're like, you know, I, I kind of like my life. And if you realize, wait, okay, this isn't always cheap, but compared to any one of the nasty outcomes that can happen at the end of your life <laughs> that involve a decade or two in a nursing home, this is dirt cheap. And, and like, this is just my perspective on life. <laughs> yeah. do, you, do you think that's so, warranted? <laughs> well, nerd that I am, I, I'm going to first re respond to the molecules that you're calling out. Okay. So glutathione. So it turns out that reactivation of glutathione, which is a key regulator of or a detoxifier of reactive oxygen species, depends on NADPH. Exactly. Right. And then it's been widely reported that in multiple tissues are NAD declines in aging. Right. And so NAD declines much more sharply in the conditions of metabolic stress that I've described with alcohol, the Overnutrition, the noise, the sun damage, and then these real disease models like neurodegeneration and heart disease. But there appears to be a decline of NAD and NAD metabolites in aging. And concomitantly, there's also a decline in metabolism and cognitive function and, and resiliency. So, yes, potentially by you know, keeping our NAD and NADPH high through aging we can stay more active and, and it's potentially a kind of a virtuous cycle where if you enjoy exercise and activity more, you're going to do it more. If you recover more easily, because exercise is actually a beneficial type of stress, just mm -hmm. like responding to a loud car horn so that you don't get run over, you know, by a vehicle, that's a beneficial type of stress. When we exercise our, you know, muscle, is able to dispose of damaged mitochondria and we turn over a lot of macromolecules and kind of refresh ourselves. 
And all, all of these processes require NAD. What about physical performance? Like if you want to be a, a higher performing athlete, what does NR do to physical performance? So it's not been clinically tested in people, although since most of the early clinical tests are done with healthy human volunteers, the signal that one would see would basically be being even better than healthy, right? So th that's actually a hard signal to see. But we do know anecdotally of a lot of athletes and even teams that are using, you know, nicotinamide riboside and, you know, it's not considered a performance enhancing drugs. There's NAD in the food that we eat. NAD gets broken down into the vitamins, NR, nicotinamide, and nicotinic acid in the course of our digestion. And so when you're supplementing with NR, you're basically getting sort of like a day's worth of NAD precursors in a capsule form as a supplement to the NAD precursors that you have in your food. That was a very well-couched uh, reply that said, if you're a high-performance athlete, if you enhance mitochondrial function via lots of different pathways, which may or may not include nicotinamide riboside, it's probably a good idea. Did, did I nail that? It's Well, here's what <laughs> I want to say. I want to say that it's safe. I, we've very extensively tested it for safety. Placebo-controlled trials show that taking a gram a day, you know, does not cause adverse events. It's not been tested in every possible combination with every possible genotype of a human being or every possible medication that a person could be on. But people can try it, you know, and for, you know, people that know their mile time or their swim time, or they have a something of a health complaint like, gee, I wish I could sleep a little bit better, or I wish that I could focus a little bit better in the afternoon, and they keep a journal. When they try nicotinamide riboside, probably by the second or third week, and some people notice some, something on the first day, but most of us notice something in this kind of second or third week that they're just functioning at a sort of higher level. And that's something that you can sort of notice if you, if you, blot, if you keep a journal. That's one of the things I started out at when I was working in, in Silicon Valley. Uh, I was just having days where I just couldn't pay attention. And I'd sit at work and, and it was like I was walking through mud. And, and it just, just didn't work. And I realized, well, wait, some days are worse than others. And I would just on the, the side of my engineering notebook, I'd be like, oh, like I have a ton of energy right now. Or I'm feeling like crap right now. Or like I can't keep my eyes open. They're crossing or you know whatever is going on. And after a while, I, I just kind of cultivated uh, an ongoing uh, process. Uh, you can tell I'm like a computer guy. So like I installed a little process that uh, was just sort of saying, how am I doing right now? Like, how's my energy level? And over the course of years, it becomes really finely attuned. And like, you know, I, I did something and you know, half hour later, I, I feel really good. And then instead of immediately saying, if I feel good, that's just my perception of feeling good. I really don't feel good. Sort of like just self-questioning, just being like, all right, this was a sensation and either it happened or it didn't happen. And whether it was placebo or not is secondary to the fact that I'm feeling good right now. But you, you learn that placebo effects generally wear off uh, over, over time. Uh, mm -hmm. And if you do it and on a regular basis, you like, wow, I, I feel better. My, my lap time is faster. You know, I, I stayed awake for longer. I, you know, I, I won at poker, whatever it is they're trying to do. That's a pretty reliable signal. And, and for stuff like this that's shown to be safe, there's a case for saying, try something. 
and just see how you do. And I would also say, there's a case to say, if you try something and you don't feel anything, you do it for a month or two, you're probably not getting a high ROI on it or it's a very long-term effect. So try something else. But if you feel it, uh, keep doing it as long as you feel it. That's kind of a basic algorithm for, for biohacking. But you're a university scientist, you're nodding, but how much of placebo should we be worried about if we're self-experimenting with something like this? The early adopters are kind of a self-selected bunch of people, right? It's not a super inexpensive supplement. No, not at all. And so there's a certain amount of uh, commitment to it. And so, you know, people may go into it reading about the amazing science and and, and thinking, wow, this is going to be great. But I, I think that you're right that people are not going to stick with it if it you know, doesn't provide a return for them. So one of the things that you will notice, it's a, it's a little on the trivial side, but it's, it's noticeable, is that hair and uh, fingernails grow faster. That's actually the, the anabolic piece, the NADPH piece of nicotinamide riboside is that you need NADPH for biosynthetic processes. You know, your gut turns over and your hair uh, grows. I shave my head. So um, it would just be, you know, the amount of biomass that is dropping into the, into the sink in the morning. But people do notice that their fingernails grow faster and stronger. And then people that work out typically find that a, you know, recovery uh, happens, you know, more reliably, more faster, and that they can hop on a plane and adjust to a time zone uh, better than the person in the seat next to them. Uh, the resiliency thing is really important. And I, I take a very carefully crafted uh, mitochondrial stack every time I fly because I like to land and be functional. And I've flown quite a bit in my career and it used to be a, a really major thing, even if it's you know a four hour flight or something, I was just a zombie for the next even two days. And usually when you fly somewhere, if it's on vacation, you don't want to be a zombie because you want to have fun. And if it's for a business trip, you land and then you can't remember what you did and you're tired and you fall asleep in a meeting and it's just not a nice thing. That's probably the best the best way to, to test whether something you're doing is working is, is take it before you fly and or maybe while you're flying for a longer trip. And if you, you have an amazing trip, like, okay, you probably did something good just because you're, you have this confluence of negative things where you have less oxygen, changes in pressure, vibration, bad light, time zone and circadian disruption, uh, you right. know, all, all the, all the bad things you could think of all at once, extra ionizing radiation. Like, like it's, it's a bad, right. it's, it's a bad scenario. Right. And because NAD is circadian, almost everybody takes nicotinamide riboside in the morning when they get up. And so this is one of those things where if you already know enough about circadian regulation to get you know, stay up until 10 p.m. in wherever you're you're flying to if you can, and then melatonin if you need it, and then get out and, and get some bright sunlight in the morning. So you want to reset with a bright yeah. sunlight and nicotinamide riboside in the morning on arrival. That would be the, the most evidence-based way to, to use this, this product. So you don't recommend taking it before bed? Will it keep you up? Or there's, I guess it, it spikes naturally in the morning? Uh, there's it's, the, the, the research that we've, we've done on it shows that there's a diurnal function of NAD. So there's a daytime peak and a nighttime peak. The daytime peak is normally coming from our digestion of food. So we, you know, we, we eat food in the morning and our NAD gets broken down into NR, nicotinamide, and nicotinic acid. 
And so you're boosting your daytime NAD peak by taking NR in the morning. Some people, including myself, uh, take their daily dose of NR split into an AM and a PM dose. This is extremely anecdotal for, for me, but um, I'm one of the people that that thinks that he has a, uh, a sleep benefit of taking NR. Again, that's not been clinically tested, but that's something that, you know, we're, we're very interested well, in. This is something I wrote about in, in Headstrong. And I, I've noticed when I take mitochondrial enhancers before bed and, and Bulletproof makes some uh, ketones are mitochondrial enhancing, like, like there's, there's tons of ways to do it. The whole book is like studded with everything I know about how to make them work better. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, well, so why do, why is it that I sleep better when I take uh, anything that makes my, my mitochondria work better. And it turns out the pump that moves cerebral spinal fluid, the glymphatic system, yep. is regulated by mitochondria. And I found a study for that that I quoted in the book. So we have a plausible mechanism that says, if you can make your mitochondria work better, you'll do a better job of flushing the brain with clean cerebral spinal fluid, which is one of the processes that happens during sleep. So I, in fact, I know just from anecdotal uh, myself, if you can have uh, uh, less toxins in the brain, uh, you're going to feel better the next day. And, and if you just wake right. up and you feel great and you need less sleep, one of the things that can make that happen is better function of that pump, which has to come from electrons. So I, I would say right. take everything that enhances your mitochondria before you go to sleep. And it's amazing how you feel the next morning. So I, I think your effect would be, there's a plausible mechanism for the effect you've yeah. observed in yourself without right. making any medical claims. <laughs> right. Well, you know, that restorative, you know, aspect of sleep is so important, you know, potentially in, you know, removing pre-Alzheimer, you know, tangles and allowing memories to form. And um, so you absolutely need good bioenergetics to, you know, for good uh, brain function. One of the things that we found in it by doing research is, you know, if I, if I've made a, a contribution to NAD, it's kind of in, in two areas. One is in the gene discovery piece of like finding all of the missing genes that were invo- involved in NAD metabolism. And then the other is in a measurement piece. So we developed something called targeted quantitative NAD metabolomics, where we can basically take blood or a tissue from you know, any kind of sample, and we can basically put it in a machine and we can determine the levels of all of the NAD metabolites. With these two technologies can basically tell us whether NAD is involved in any process that you want. Like, you know, chronic fatigue syndrome. Someone asked me about that recently. And he said, do you think NAD might be, you know, dysregulated and in chronic fatigue syndrome? And I said, well, I don't know, but I can know, I can figure out how we can tell, which is, you know, we just get some tissue. And if we see the genes are dysregulated and the metabolites are dysregulated, it's telling us that NAD is misregulated. The most amazing thing, one of the most amazing things that we did in the last year related to this heart failure story that I was telling you about, where this mouse is on its way to getting heart failure. It's, it's even pre-symptomatic and its NAD starts dropping, and its NAD is dropping, and its nicotinamide riboside kinase 2 gene is spiking up. So the the gene pathway to convert NR into NAD is going up while the NAD is going down, and turns out what turns that on is something called AMP kinase. So it's this low-energy sensor, and the low-energy sensor is turning on this NR pathway. 
so that if you're if you're the lucky mouse who is supplementing with nicotinamide riboside, you have a much better heart function because NR is available to those stressed cardiac cells that are having this bioenergetic crisis. So to some degree, people will have a, a more noticeable performance issue after they're, they're all already you know, somewhat debilitated, but there's a protective aspect, I think, of having NR available when stuff happens, right? Because when yep. stuff happens and we have those kinds of stresses, our NRK2 gene may be turning on. If NR is available to us, then it may protect that tissue. I'm getting out, you know, the level of interpretation of animal experiments, but I think that's where kind of the science is going in terms of looking at applications where NR could improve human health is that somebody says to me, do you think it could be involved in this disease? We now have the tools to figure out if it, if it will be. It's interesting you, you mentioned AMPK. And for several years, I took metformin, the diabetes drug, which affects AMPK. Uh, and now you're actually providing a missing piece of that puzzle uh, for anti-aging why people um, have been doing that. Although I think there's a great argument, don't do that because long-term use inhibits mitochondrial function, which is why I quit taking that stuff. Mm -hmm. I never had diabetes. I was, I was pre-diabetic in my mid twenties uh, when I, uh, when I started down this path, but you know, my blood sugar regulation is perfect at this point. Yeah. And that drug though, it sounds like it would probably have this effect of increasing your levels of NAD via that pathway. But why, why do you need to go to that level if you can just in increase levels without it, right? You're actually going to need a precursor anyway. So okay. MP kinase activation will turn on the NRK pathway, but then you need nicotinamide riboside to feed into that pathway in order to replenish the NAD. So you need it anyway. So, yeah. So we don't really, you know, I don't advocate, I certainly don't advocate, you know, off prescription uses of drugs. Oh, I do. You know, I don't, I don't take, <laughs> <laughs> I don't take rapamycin. I don't take metformin. You know, we always say, ask your doctor, you know, for people that have a disease or condition. Yeah. So right now, you know, NR is out there to promote wellness, but the great thing about it is that it's safe. It's natural to nature, identical product. And, um, we think that it will promote wellness. I, I think you've got a pretty clear case there, or frankly, I wouldn't have had you on the show. I know you've you've done the the real research and looked at the gene pathways and looked at the mitochondrial biology. And I'm I'm hoping that this show just serves to help people understand how important mitochondrial function is for how you perform right now and how you are going to look and feel and think, you know, 20, 50 or 70 years from now, however old you are, and why you know, building stuff like this into your into your stack that you take over time. And you know, you probably don't need this if you're, you know, 18 and your biology is working really well. Like you might get a bigger bang for the buck somewhere else, or you might take it just before an event. Or you might be 18 like I was and fat and not feeling very good and probably could have benefited greatly from it. Right. So there's an individuality and there's always a a place where you decide where and how you're going to invest your dollars and your energy and your time in feeling really good right now and, and probably taking away some of the bad things that can happen uh, as, as you age. Uh, so I'm, uh, I think you've done admirable work on this stuff, uh, Charles. And so just thanks for being curious for those long periods of time. And I got to ask you now, why did you get so curious about this? Like, like what makes you tick? Well, I love discovery and uh, I love asking questions that no one has asked before. As I said, when 
when we started looking at the NAD synthesis pathway, everybody else in the field basically took the received wisdom and said, okay, there's one way to make NAD from tryptophan. There's a way to make NAD from niacin. And there's a way to make NAD from from nicotinamide. And, you know, that's what these five publications all say. So that must be it. We just realized that potentially it was a rare example where we knew what we didn't know. Usually you don't know when you, what you don't know. And this was a rare example in which we realized that not all of the underlying assumptions behind the, the wiring diagram for NAD had really been tested and that it was really up to us to do that test. And, you know, it's been, you know, nonstop fun ever, ever since then. We've made a transition from doing enzymes and yeast to doing, you know, mice and rats and people. We've seen this molecule safely commercialized. And so it's been, it's a, it's been a really exciting ride. Were you one of those like super curious kids who always had to figure out how things, how things ticked? Uh, is, is this something that you kind of, this level of curiosity, did it come to you as an adult or is it just something that's always been built in? Yeah, I broke a few things in my childhood, I'd have <laughs> right. to say. So, so you were, you were one of those kids. Uh, by the way, those are the best kids. I'm just kidding. Uh, but uh, it, it's, uh, so this is just something that's just built into your nature to just be curious and just get to the bottom of things. And, and that's what you're doing professionally. Yeah, we like to figure out how things work. There's this great pleasure. I'm, I'm certainly one of those people too, where you know how it works. You can, you can do things to change it. And that's kind of cool. If someone came to you tomorrow, Charles, and they said, I want to perform better at everything I do as a human being, just based on your life's path, you know, including your research or not including your research, whatever, what advice would you have for someone who just came to you and said, like, what should I do? Well, I would say aging better involves managing stress, sleeping and eating well, staying physically active, mentally challenged, and probably socially engaged. But increasingly, you know, we have evidence that keeping one's NAD up with NR protects us against some of the inevitable stresses of life. So, you know, supplementing with, with, with something like true niogen could potentially be an adjuvant. But you got to start off by managing stress, staying active, eating right, and trying to have a positive attitude. It's amazing how many people, and we're going up against, I think, about 500 episodes at this point. And I've been paying attention and, and sort of keeping a tally which is, uh, which is part of, uh, part of uh, some new work that I'll be publishing soon. Uh, it's amazing how many people come up with those big ones. You know, it's about stress, uh, sleep, eating, and exercise, and, and things like that. And you know, of all the things you could have said, and, and I think what you did say at the end there was and increase your resilience, right? Which is why you're talking about right. uh, nicotine and right. riboside, which is, which is really cool. And uh, I do hear that answer on occasion as well, not necessarily in R, but just do what it takes to be more resilient because at the end of the day, you want to perform better as a human being. If you stop performing the second something happens, it isn't ideal. That's not going to work very well. And, and certainly as a biohacker, my resilience is, has increased and mitochondria seem to be at the core of it. Yeah. And don't forget, you know, mentally challenged and socially engaged. So for me, what works well is to, you know, always be diving into the, to the deep end of a swimming pool and, trying to do something that I've never done before, taking up a new hot hobby or going to a new place, trying a new exercise routine, all of those things can be, can be really good for you. And, and I think that, you know, social engagement and positivity is, is gotta be uh, part of the mix as well. They're on your list as well. Well, uh, well, thank you for sharing that. And thanks for being on Bulletproof Radio. 
Um, let's see, you, your work with nicotinamide riboside is at trueniagen, T-R-U-N-I-A-G-E-N.com. And your lab is at Brenner, B-R-E-N-N-E-R.lab.uiowa.edu. Did I get those exactly. right? You did. Awesome. I will put those in the show notes. So if you go to the Bulletproof blog, just blog.bulletproof.com, we'll have a whole transcript of this. So if you're super geeky and you wanted to make sure that he got all those pathways right, I can tell you he did, at least all the ones I knew, because you touched on a couple where I certainly don't have those memorized. And if you didn't get all those and you don't want to, that's all right. I think there's a lot in this episode for you uh, that comes down to the core biology of what can you do to have more energy now. And bottom line is, do what it takes to make your mitochondria work better. And that has benefits across all everything that you do and everything that's probably going to happen to you or not happen to you. And this is a new technology for uh, changing that curve for you. Charles, thanks. Thank you, Dave. If you enjoyed this episode, you know what to do. Uh, learn something. Go out there and check out the, uh, the info on nicotinamide riboside. And Better yet, go out there and leave a review for the show. Bulletproof.com slash iTunes will take you to the Apple page where you can say, this show is worth your time. I always appreciate a good review and I see those numbers every day. So thanks for taking the time to do that. The Human Upgrade, formerly Bulletproof Radio, was created and is hosted by Dave Asprey. The information contained in this podcast is provided for informational purposes only and is not intended for the purposes of diagnosing, treating, curing, or preventing any disease. Before using any products referenced on the podcast, consult with your healthcare provider, carefully read all labels, and heed all directions and cautions that accompany the products. Information found or received through the podcast should not be used in place of a consultation or advice from a healthcare provider. If you suspect you have a medical problem or should you have any healthcare questions, please promptly call or see your healthcare provider. This podcast, including Dave Asprey and the producers, disclaim responsibility for any possible adverse effects from the use of information contained herein. Opinions of guests are their own, and this podcast does not endorse or accept responsibility for statements made by guests. This podcast does not make any representations or warranties about guest qualifications or credibility. This podcast may contain paid endorsements and advertisements for products or services. Individuals on this podcast may have a direct or indirect financial interest in products or services referred to herein. This podcast is owned by Bulletproof Media.